The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Today's passage comes from Galatians 4, verses 421 through um, 5.1. So please stand with me as I read God's word. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thanks, Don. Well, good morning. As you can see, we are tracking back into the book of Galatians. Uh, we took a little break to celebrate Easter and First Peter, and now we're continuing on in our series. As John alluded to earlier, what we do here is we pick a book of the Bible, and that's our, that's our sermon series. We let God's word reveal itself to us in its original structure, the way that God presented it and the way that he wrote it. And we've been in this book, Galatians, we've been calling the series No Other Gospel. And that's because we have an author, his name is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Galatia with that very message. There is no other gospel apart from the one that I delivered unto you of first importance. And it's this, that Christ died on the cross to cleanse sinners of their sin. That he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. That he might give the newness of life and prove his power to forgive sin. But the people in Galatia had been influenced by some outside teachers. We would plainly call false teachers. Those of the Jewish faith who are trying to influence them to insert just a little bit more law into their Jesus thing. They would say, Jesus is cool, you can do that, we don't care. But you also have to abide by the law of God. You also have to listen to his, the fullness of his commandments in order to be in right standing before God. This is categorically opposed to the gospel that Paul brought to them. And so there is no other gospel. And there's been this sense of astonishment throughout this text. Because Paul's writing to a people that he has ministered over. People who have received the gospel. And he says to them, I am astonished by you. We just left off in the last passage. He said, I am perplexed by you that you are so quickly turning from the true gospel to another, not that there is another one. So that's the tone of the passage. That's the context of what we're dealing with today. 
Now, lest you think that we are dealing with one passage today, I can assure you it's far more interesting than that. Yes, we did just have a scripture reading, but Paul's going to be doing a little bit of biblical gymnastics. He's going to be kind of hopping all over the Bible, okay? And so, and, and you may have also noticed a little bit of a heady text, a little bit of high theology, but here's my encouragement to you. It may be complex, but that's a really good thing. When you come across a text like this, you should get excited. I know that I'm real. I mean, yes, I'm intimidated, but I am jacked. I am so excited to bring this word today. When you have a text that's like this, it's a little heady, that gives us the opportunity to do a deep dive and ask God, Spirit, I need your clarity. I need to understand what's going on here. Help me, God, to understand. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer and plead that he would bring clarity as he has promised to do in his word. Okay, let's pray. Spirit, apart from you, our hearts cannot be regenerated. Christ, apart from you, we have not been saved. Apart from your power, we are worthless. We are dead in our sin. But in all these things, Spirit, in you, we are alive. In the resurrection of you, Christ, we have hope. And the same spirit that raised you from the dead, Christ, is now alive in those who are children of God's spirit. We ask you now to bring clarity through your word. We've read it. We're going to try to unpack it. But we need you to do the good work of helping us to understand it, that we might know you, our God. We know that you desire to bring this to us. So we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to start with a story, and this story is going to be a little interactive, and so, meaning you're going to be one of the characters. And this story, just as a disclaimer, may be one that you have actually lived in one way or another. So my hope is that if it's a bit raw, it's not meant to wound, but maybe it just bears a little more relevance to you because you've been there, okay? Now in this story, story you're one of three characters. You are the friend to your friend who has a long series of not-so-great boyfriends, okay? Now, if you're a boy, if you're a guy here, just translate the genders as I go along, all right? Your friend has a long history of just being with not-so-great guys. They degrade her. They insult her appearance. Somehow, she always ends up with the same guy. A few times, they have been abusive, physically, verbally, and the, and the latest guy that she's been with, it, it's no different. In fact, he may be the worst of the worst. He would humiliate her appearance. She would make her feel absolutely worthless. Now, you dearly love your friend. You don't think she's stupid for getting in this situation time again. No, you love her and you want what's best for her. So what you do often is you invite her over and you two process it together. And you know what? She, she knows. She knows that this thing keeps going on and she desires to be freed from it. After, after processing it for a long time, she says, you know what? I feel trapped in this. I feel completely enslaved in this system that I find myself in. And so you together, you resolve to make a change. She decides, you know what? This guy, I'm done with him. And for a while, just be single, be myself. And that's what happens. After some time, she starts dating a new guy and something's different. You see, this guy... It's very sweet. 
And, and not in the way where he's sweet at first, but oh, where's his flaws? He, he really is a good guy. He cares for her. He desires for her to grow in the Lord. He compliments her appearance. He seems to really love her, and the parents, well, they approve. They're hoping he drops a ring on it real fast. Something happens after a little while. Even though she has said, I feel free. For the first time, I feel like someone actually just accepts me. I don't have to work and work and work to prove how wor- my worth to this guy. He just, he just loves me. But after some time, even though that's what she's said, you're scrolling through Snapchat, check, click a story, and she's hanging around the neck of her old boyfriend. And you're like, well, that's strange, but you know what? Friend circles, they overlap. They're going to have to see each other every now and then, so maybe they're just being civil about it. They've, they're grown-ups, right? A few days later, you notice her relationship status has changed, and not single, but in a relationship with the ex-boyfriend. Now, at this point, you, you know everything about him, and you know how great the good guy was. So, again, you love her, you care for her deeply, you call her over, and you ask her, please, just help, help me to understand this. I, I don't get this. You said that you felt trapped by this thing, and yet you're running back. You said you felt free, and yet you're running back. She says, I, I know, it, you know, but I think at the end of the day, he's a good guy, and I think that you know, maybe there's something there, and I think he, and he loves me in his own way. No matter what she says, you don't get it. Totally perplexed, totally astonished that she would turn from the, from the freedom that she was feeling. Now I should say, just as a caveat, the relationship between us and God is of far more eternal importance than any kind of earthly relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend. Okay, I don't mean to draw an apples-to-apples comparison here. But, but the way that you would be feeling in that moment, the... I don't, I just don't understand why you would make this kind of decision to run back to the thing in which you were enslaved. That is, an, it is a small glimpse of the way our author is feeling in this text today. And it's, it's a similar situation in the way that he's asking them, what are you doing? Turning from the thing that brought freedom, turning, turning back to the thing that brought Slavery. He's been weaving this theme throughout the book of slavery versus sonship. Slavery being under the law of God. You are slave to the law of God, having to follow the full commandments of God. You experience freedom in the true gospel of Christ. Now, he begins, this, he begins the passage today with a question. And he's going to call out that friend. He's going to call out the Galatian believers. And he's going to call out the Judaizers themselves, okay? He says this with a question. Hear ye. (laughs) You who desire to be under the law, do you you not listen to the law? Do you even read, bro? I mean, that's the the kind of thing. Are, are Are you paying attention? Do you read the law? Are you not listening? Now, what kind of person wants to be under the law? In this case, he's referring to the Judaizers. In one sense, the, those who had a false gospel of in, inserting Jewish faith into the law of Christ. He's saying, you, you apparently desire to be on the law because that you believe is your gospel, although it is no gospel at all. So he is calling them out. And he's also calling out in the same breath his sheep, those of his congregation who are giving way to this false gospel. 
You, guys, you who apparently are willing to embrace the law of God as opposed to the grace of God. Do you not read the law? We have to be careful here. Because yes, Paul has an audience, and he's speaking to the Judaizers and the Galatians, but would we find ourselves in the same place? Is he also speaking to us this morning? My answer to that, I think, is a categorical yes. Here's the thing. We all do, in some sense, desire to be under the law. I believe that is a universal human condition, and there's a few reasons for that. The law is comfortable. In some way or another, we desire to be on it under the law because we believe that it is comfortable. Let me prove that to you. Comfy. The law is comfy because we think we can control it. That there's some kind of spiritual scales between good and evil, and that as long as we can add more good works, be a good person, be a good father, be, you know, X, Y, Z, good neighbor, that we can tip the scales in our favor. That's something that we can control, and so, and so it's comfortable to us, rather than something that is arbitrary, like the full free rate grace of God. It's not arbitrary, it's very objective, but it feels that way when we think about a list of rules that we can control. The second thing is that we objectively know what to do when something's written down and it's in front of us. The law of God, you you can go read it. You can ask ask of the Bible what has God commanded his people to do in the Old Covenant. And you can read it, and you can try to check those boxes. And because it is something that we can see as objective, it's comfy. Again, I I can control this. I can handle this. Now, we heard last week in the Easter sermon that if you read the Sermon on the Mount, if you read God's law in its entirety, what you should come away with is a full understanding that you cannot abide by the law of God. It's impossible to fulfill it in its perfection. But this is the sense that we have, false though it is. And lastly, we we get comfortable with the law because it's intrinsically how we think that the world works, right? We believe that you just follow the rules. From a very young age, we're, we're taught to believe, to follow the rules. So this is the system, right, that our culture creates, that we create as parents. And so naturally, it must be how God operates, that you do good things, you be a good person, and by that, you stand right before God. You are justified before God. False though that is. Here's the thing. It's what we know. It feels familiar. And we might even prefer something dangerous or toxic so long as we find it familiar. Same situation with the Galatians. Running back to the thing that seems familiar and obvious. So he asks, are you even paying attention? Because if you were, look, if you really give God's word a read, cover to cover, hop around even. Find yourself in the New Testament. You would not fall victim to this trap. It all boils down to this, and if you're a note taker, this is the main idea. Free children of God are born from and should remain solely reliant upon the grace of Christ. If you are a free child of God this morning, your faith began because you, be, you put your faith in the, tr- in the grace of Christ, okay? Your faith began because Christ saved you. He first loved you. He died on the cross to save you. He acted. And you should remain steadfastly reliant upon the grace of Christ alone. Don't turn to the law of God to sustain your faith. That's not what God set up. That's not the story that he created with the biblical narrative. Okay? And the way that Paul goes about illustrating this point 
It is masterful. It is brilliant. And this is partly why I'm so excited to be speaking from this word today, because he pieces together an argument that it just revs my engines. It gets me so excited. It really is a piece, a masterpiece. So what he does is he shares with them an illustration, an allegory. We'll talk about that word in a moment. And he says this, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, this is verse 22, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. What he's doing is he's hopping way back into the Old Testament, or their scrolls as they knew it, and he's referencing Genesis 15 and 16. If that story's new to you or if it's been a while, it's okay. Here's, Here's the gist of it. God delivered to Abraham a promise that a great nation would come from him, that through a promised son, he would have descendants, multitudes of descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. This was the the promise that God made to Abraham. But after some time, 10, 15 years go by, he and his wife are really old, his wife is apparently barren, they see that this whole promise baby ain't happening. Sarah, his wife, gets a little antsy, you might say. She says, look, Abe, I don't know if you've noticed, but this isn't happening. Babe, I love you, and I I know what God said, but I don't think this is going to happen. So here's the thing. Let's just go ahead and let God off the hook. I don't want to embarrass him, but we can take care of this thing. It's not a complicated formula. I just don't have the, the, the pieces to make it happen. So here's what we can do, Abraham. You, hopefully you've noticed my, wife, my slave girl, Hagar, and you can sleep with her. We'll make a baby. I'll claim that baby. I'll adopt that baby, and we'll have our promised one. How does that sound? Abraham signs right up. I can, I can dig that plan, Sarah. And it, and it happens. They have a baby. His name is Ishmael, and he is the son of the slave, right here in our text, right? One is born according to the slave. There's also another son that comes along. Surprise, surprise, God delivers on his promise. We later get the promised son, Isaac, through the barren womb of Sarah. At an advanced age, this is nothing short of miraculous. We do get the promised son, Isaac. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, Paul says. And this is, again, if you're a note taker, our first main point today. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh. You are either born of the slave or born of the free woman. See, the Bible doesn't operate in gray areas. Very black and white. High contrast. There's, there's not a lot of room, wiggle room here. And Paul's saying that this story can teach us something. You are either born of the slave or you are born of the free woman. And he he unpacks the mode of birth. This is very interesting to me. Because again, this this isn't exactly a biology lesson when he says he's born according to flesh. Flesh is in contrast to being born of promise, being born of the spirit, being born of a God-given reality. Born according to the flesh is this. Sarah tried to do a DIY baby. She tried to let God off the hook. She tried to make sure that God wasn't embarrassed and took control of the situation herself. She acted out of sin. She doubted God. She doubted that God could deliver on his promise. That son of the slave woman, he was born according to flesh. 
Sarah's sin. But the son of the free woman, interestingly enough, Sarah, born according to promise. What do you think Isaac did to be born? What do you think Sarah and Abraham did for Isaac to be born? Because apparently whatever they were doing wasn't working. It was completely outside their control, completely outside their power. Obviously, Isaac was just born. He didn't do anything to be born. You know who did something? You know who acted? You know who brought power for Isaac to be born? God and God alone. Isaac is born according to God's promise. God did what he said he was going to do. And this has implications on our spiritual journey, where our faith began. Was it born according to flesh? Was it born according to faith? Or in other words, was it born according to promise? And where your faith begins, whether you are in the family of the slave woman or you are born of the free woman, has implications on your spiritual trajectory. It's at this point that Paul turns to an allegorical interpretation, okay? He looks here in verses 24 through 27. He says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. I want to pause there because it's very interesting. Paul, I want you to know these are fighting words. (laughs) What, What Paul's doing here is he's not trying to make friends. He's trying to protect his people. And he knows that his people are under attack. So he's already said, for it is written, and followed up with not a direct quote, which is already strike one in the Jews' point of view. He's followed up with a paraphrase. He wrote the message version of Genesis 15 and 16. <laughs> Might get in trouble for that one. Um, <laughs> and he, so he's already done, he's already got one strike against him. And then he says, no, this can be interpreted allegorically. And this is just another moment where the Judaizers, where their ear perks up, it can be interpreted alle what now? Did he just say allegorically? Now, depending on what tribe you you come from, maybe there's too much allegory. Maybe there's none whatsoever. Well, Paul strikes an interesting balance here. He says, look, I I understand that God's word may not, this may not be the whole point of the story. This may not have been the exact reason why God put the story in the Bible, but there's a lesson to be learned here. There's a clear lesson that we can glean from this text, and this is it. You are either a slave to the covenant of works or you are living free in the covenant of grace. Now, the word covenant is what he introduces here. He's already talked about two mothers, talked about two sons to those mothers, and now he's saying the allegorical interpretation, two covenants. That word covenant bears a lot of explaining, but if to boil it down, it is your relationship to God, the nature of your relationship to God. Is your relationship to God based on you doing good works and being right before him? Or is your relationship to God based only on his promise, only on his goodness, only on his power, only on his grace? And Paul is saying in his, in his, in his allegorical interpretation, you are either a slave in the covenant of works or you are living free in the covenant of grace. Again, how he does that may not be super clear up front. So let's look at God's word and let's, and let's ask God, what, what is Paul saying here? Well, he says, These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. 
Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. I'll tell you what, guys. If, if the Jews' pitchforks weren't lit yet, they are lit. It's going down at this point. One is from Mount Sinai. You know what, you know what they want to hear? And God blesses that covenant. You know what was delivered at Sinai? The law of God. The Mosaic law given to his people to guard and protect his people until the time of the Savior. But they believed that it was the entirety of their faith. What came at Sinai, according to Paul? Slavery. Taking shots, one-two punch. He's going for the knockout here. And he says this, In case you think that I misspoke when I said slavery... She is Hagar, the slave woman. Oh, do you think that maybe I misspoke again? Hagar, the slave woman, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. In Arabia, in case not only if you forgot where it was, but the land of the ungodly, whose spiritual historical father is Ishmael, whose lands were in constant quarrel with the true family of God, ailing from Isaac. And the final dagger here, for anyone who's just not totally peeved, is she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a spiritual capital city for Judaism. He's saying all those folks, and everyone down there in the synagogues who doesn't know the, the, the grace of God, who's not living free in the covenant of grace, well, slaves very clear like I said these are fighting words but you best believe that this whole book is a fight for grace and Paul does not care who he offends what he wants is that his people return to truth that they shirk off the false gospel and he contrasts that with another woman the mother the free woman he said she is free. She corresponds to the Jerusalem above. Folks, if, if nothing I say today lands, go home and just do yourself a favor. Google the New or turn to your index in the Bible and look up New Jerusalem, Heavenly Jerusalem. It'll make your day. It'll get you as, as amped as I am right now. The New Jerusalem, the Heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above it was a long time coming. As far back as the book of Isaiah, we have the hope of future glory. And that's what he quotes here when he says, A rejoice, O barren one. See, the new Jerusalem is a place where there is no mourning, as in mourning for loved ones. There is no tears. There is, and this is, this is the most beautiful as far as I'm concerned, there is no sin freed from the bondage of sin that we never escape in this world. Try as we might. It's just gone. Isaiah 25, God will take away the reproach of his people. Amen. That is, that is good news that we look forward to in the future glory and the hope of the new Jerusalem. This new Jerusalem, there's no need for a sun, for the glory of God provides the light. It, it radiates with that much glory. And you know who belongs, who are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem? Those who are born according to 
promise. It's this image, it's, it's this reason why, all the way back in the time of Isaiah, speaking to his nation, he says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not even in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than those of the one who has a husband. See that text right there? We, we might think at first glance that Isaiah is referring to Sarah. Makes sense. Logical flow. Sarah was barren. Break forth, cry aloud, rejoice. You promise one's come. And I think, I think Paul is, in a way, doing a wordplay there. He, he knows how he's been tracking, and this fits into that, cap, into that imagery. But what Isaiah was talking about is the nation who was in exile, the nation who had produced no fruit, the nation that was, by and large, barren, had not produced anything in the world that, was, that looked anything like their faith. They failed. They were barren. But the hope, the new Jerusalem, is for those who Christ would eventually come to and intervene in with a covenant of grace. Paul has a human moment after this. Look at your, your Bible here in verses 28 through 31. He has a moment where I, I just feel like we've seen this in our pastors, so thankful for this, where Look, this has been complex, but he brings it down to a, just a simple level. He, he's going to deliver just a handful of application to you, to, to us and to his church. He says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, you are children of the promise. This is meant to be an assurance. This is meant to be a word to call them to hold fast to their identity. This is the third point for you today. He's calling them to hold fast to the one true gospel for Christ has set them free. Hold fast to the one true gospel for Christ has set you free. He's trying to drill into their heads that same thing that he has been saying over and over again through this book. If you are a child of God, you are born of grace. You are a child of promise. God acted. You did not act. It is not by your works. It is not by your upholding of God's law that only brings slavery. If you are a child of God, you are born of grace. And you should remain solely reliant upon the grace of God. You, like Isaac, are children of promise. See, this is an appeal to his people. I know you guys. I've been with you. I know your faith is true. And I know that you are under attack. That's all this is. Their church is under attack by a false gospel. And he calls them to open their eyes. You are children of promise. Remember this reality. And he says this. What does the scripture say? If this is true... If you're children of promise, which you are, I know it's true, what would the scripture have you do? And he quotes Sarah here. It's so fascinating to me. Sarah's not blameless in this story. But Sarah does act in a way that seems appropriate. You see, there was some family drama that followed that whole thing. She wasn't a huge fan of how Abraham uh, 
she wasn't a fan of the relationship between Abraham and Hagar in, in the years after. In fact, Ishmael uh, was caught like mocking, jeering at the, the promised son, Isaiah, the golden boy. I'm sure there was some of that dissension that they had. And for years and years, there would be drama between these two families. And by drama, war, fighting. But Sarah says, cast out the slave woman. Can't have this. We cannot have this in our household. This is destructive. This is insidious. And so Paul is saying, you need to do the same thing. Remember I said those are fighting words? He is saying, get rid of the Judaizers. There's a false gospel that they're preaching to you. You need to get rid of the false gospel, and you need to get rid of them personally. They are wolf in sheep clothing. They are aiming to destroy your souls. Whether they know it or not, they are out for only their good. And their gospel, though it is not one at all, is going to bring nothing but devastation. Cast out the slave woman. Because you're not going to inherit anything with them. Shall not inherit with the free, the son of the free woman. Black and white. Either or. This is, ex- this is exclusive. You are covered by the covenant of grace in that you have been saved by Christ and his blood shed on the cross that was the sacrificial atonement for your life, your lifestyle of sin. Or you're trying to go your own way, trying to do your own thing, and those are incompatible. And only one of them will inherit the kingdom of God, and it's only the son of the free woman. Get rid of them. Get rid of the false gospel because you're not going together anyway. And if you go at all, it is in the power and it is in the grace of Christ. Last two verses. It's an assurance again of their identity. And it is, it is them begging. It is Paul begging, hold fast to your identity. Christ has set you free. Do not again submit to the yoke of slavery. You are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. You have grace. You have the grace of Christ. You are a free person in Christ. God sees you as his son because of the sacrifice on the cross. So don't bear again the yoke of slavery. You know what the yoke of slavery is? It's a burden. It's calling you to work more. It's calling you to respond in in a way that makes you think you have to act good. You have to do good before God. You have to uphold the fullness of his law. It's not going to work. And he's saying it's going to do nothing but enslave you. So respond. Respond by embracing the freedom. I, I love that line. It's so simple but so significant. For freedom, Christ has set you free. You want to know why God set you free? So that you'd be free. So that you would continue living as a free individual. For this purpose, he gave his life that you might be a free son of God. Born according to promise. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is foolishness. This is you being bewitched. I'm astonished that you even desire this. It's madness. I think that what, what Paul has done for us this morning is he's given us those very same words. You want to know how this bears relevance to your life? Just look right back at those last several verses and ask yourselves the same questions. 
Imagine Paul is speaking directly to you. Let me ask you this. Who's your mama? Is your, are you, is your mother the slave woman? By that I mean, are you submitting to the yoke of slavery? When you think through the question, how will I be in heaven? How will I get to heaven? Is your answer, I am a good person? I know that God has a system in the Bible where he says what I ought to do, thou shalt and thou shalt not, so I shall and I shall not and I'm good. By and large, I'm better than I am bad. Your mama is a slave woman. Or is your mom the free woman? Meaning that you, you were born according to promise. You have embraced the grace of Christ. That you have done nothing to earn salvation, but it was freely given to you as a free gift. Is that the family that you belong to? I hope that it is. If it is, hold fast. Do not let go. Do not let yourself be influenced by a false gospel. And if not, I say clearly, unequivocally, turn from your desire to obey the fullness of the law. You cannot do it. Turn to the free grace of Christ that was won on the cross. Okay? Secondly, cast out the slave woman. You may have influences in your life. Maybe there's a certain pastor you like to watch on YouTube. Maybe there's certain books that you like to read. And though they're subtle, they're doing the kind of same thing that the Judaizers did. Hey, I'm happy for you. You got your Jesus thing. That's cool. Just so you know, it, it's good, but it's not, it doesn't get you all the way. You also have to make sure that you have regular church attendance. You also make sure that you're praying with your family. You also to make sure that you're going to CG. And, and by the way, your CG person will know. So you, you have to make sure you look good before him. These are, these are things that are calling you to slavery. And if you're anything like me, though I prescribe to and I would proclaim the gospel of grace, the covenant of grace, there are weeks where I feel really good about myself because I did all those things. You know what the problem with that is? Is that on the flip side, in a week that I don't do so well in all those things, the, the way that that turns on itself is that then I feel like God is displeased with me. Covenant works. That's slavery. And this is not what, the way that we were born. We're born in grace. We're born in Christ. So if, if there's someone that you're watching on YouTube, if there's a book that you're reading, or if it is just your natural tendency to want to follow the law of God for your salvation, or even your own moral code, whatever that looks like, even less objective, get rid of that. Resolve to know nothing about that. Know only that Christ died and saved you from your sins. Lastly, hold fast. Hold fast with all your might to your identity as children of the free woman. That's to say, don't be bound by the law, but fastened to the cross of Christ. There's one of my favorite books, The Valley of Vision. So many of the prayers, a handful of them, end like this. Spirit, grant that I may live always near the cross. <laughs> Spirit, I need you to make sure that I'm not walking away from this thing. Help me to live here. Help me to know that this is of first importance, that when Christ died, he covered me in his blood. I am completely washed free, and when God sees me, he sees his son. 
he, was, he suffered in my place and he rose to get, deliver into me the newness of life and the power of God itself. This is my call to you this morning. Hold fast to this truth. Let's pray. Spirit, we are weak people who are influenced easily and it can be so easy for us, Father, to believe that we have to work for your favor. But this is slavery. Help us to see this clearly. You don't ask us to follow the full letter of the law. You ask us to place our faith in Christ who has upheld the full letter of the law and died in our place. God, write this truth on our hearts. Help us to know it each day as we leave this place. Help us to own our identity as children who are born through promise. We are free. God, we are wayward and we will turn from this if you don't hold us fast. Help us to cling with all of our might to the glorious cross of Christ. Christ, it's in your name we pray. Amen.